Annette Shaw, author A.R. Shaw with Apocalypse Queen Radio. We're improvising an interview with Russell Blake this afternoon. Um, we've had some technical difficulties. It's not working the way we intended, but if you can go online and, um, and share the interview, you'll be able to see what, uh, what we're trying to do. Anyway, so if you go to uh, Apocalypse Queen Radio, you can click on the actual link to it and share it if it works, hopefully. If not, you'll be able to share this for longevity in the interim. Um, dang, I'm so sorry. So let's see, let me go back to my questions. And hold on just a second. Hi, Russell Blake, go ahead and, and talk to us. Tell us what you have going on today. Well, um, I'm battling the flu, although the rumors of my demise are somewhat exaggerated. Um, yeah. I'm glad to be on, is this your first show? Uh, no, this is several several into my first show. People are logging in. We already have Jeffrey Daniels, Jimmy Kirby, and, and uh, Davis Christopher Ryan. They all say Hello. that they're all on board and happy to be here. So keep oh, talking. Can you guys makes, hear Russell Blake? <laughs> I know, right? There's actually like seven so far. So can Let's you? See. What have I got going on? Can uh, you hear him? Can someone please let me know if you can hear him? Okay. No, there's there's several people on already. Uh, Scott Payne okay. says, "Hey, Annette." So go ahead. And, and they can hear me. They apparently they can. I don't know. Well, I hope. Okay, and if not, it'll be an amazing 57 minutes of complete silence. Which is <laughs> not so fun. With just me miming stuff. Myself. Right. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. Okay, and you're in somewhere in Mexico, right? I am somewhere in Mexico. Yeah. Where I have resided now for 16 years. Nice, nice. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I have no complaints, although I'm the minority here. I'm, I'm the gringo. <laughs> but very nice. I was born down there, the gringo, so there you go. <laughs> what were you really? Where? Actually, McAllen, Texas, close enough, seven miles okay, from the yeah, border. Okay, yeah, right across the border. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I guess the guy who delivered me was the first man shot out of a helicopter during Vietnam. That was uh, the person who delivered me. Yeah. That's a colorful past. I, yeah. <laughs> don't have, I, I don't have anything to, to, to raise you on that one. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I don't know. That's what I was told. It's just like being told you were like born American Indian, but you find out you're Irish. Yeah. Who well, knows? Yeah, which <laughs> there's worse things to be than either American Indian or Irish. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm actually half Irish and uh, I'm me half too. Hungarian. Oh, okay. Okay. Which makes me a superstitious drunk, I guess. Um, which is fine. Yeah, <laughs> same here. Jack says, Russell, man, you demand. Okay. So, uh, yeah, uh, well, so far, so far, so good. Oh, I'm considering that surgery. Pam says that she can hear us. Okay. So speak loud and clear because you're coming from my iPad to the camera. Is we the have, technology wonderful? It is. It's fantastic. So we had to improvise tonight. So speak loudly. You don't. You know you've really arrived when basically YouTube and Facebook just won't show your streams anymore. Mm -hmm. right? Yep. Until they shut you down, which this broadcast may accomplish. Actually. It could. Yeah, it could happen. Yeah. Yeah. 
So the reason I asked you on was for, okay, I have to say that this is the Apocalypse Queen Radio is a copyrighted podcast for uh, Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. So I, I said what I had to say. So, <laughs> so the reason I asked you on was uh, because of your series. Um, and, and I'm so sorry, but the title is eluding me at the moment. The that's horrible. Thank you very much. Yeah, because that's that's why you're on here. So and I, I actually read this book, the first book in the series um, mm -hmm. over, gosh, over a year ago. But you've continued, you finished the series. And no, I'm still I'm still chipping away at it. I'm up to book seven and I'll probably wow. release book eight before the end of the year. OK, good for you. That's fantastic. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's probably going to be about a nine book arc unless something occurs to me and I continue it. Uh huh. OK. Wow, very cool. The one thing that yeah. that uh, that came to mind was it's such a modern day western. Well, yeah, I mean, it, 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 when when I first started writing it, I mean, I had been looking into screenwriting because I'm not a screenwriter and I don't play one on TV and I, I know nothing about it. So I, <laughs> pardon me, a friend of mine sent me a bunch of, you know, what he considers to be some of the best scripts ever written. And one of them that I read was um, No Country for Old Men, which mm -hmm. is a fantastic screenplay. It is. And I think that, you know, I was going to write, I wanted to write something post-apocalyptic anyway. Mm -hmm. And I think No Country for Old Men just kind of put me in that Texas, you know, hey, what would happen if, you know, yeah. if all of these things collapsed, the society collapsed but view it more from a, a sort of Southwestern-centric view rather than the usual, you know, I'm in a big city and I need to escape, or I'm in LA, or I'm in Pennsylvania. You know, I want to do something that had more of a Southwestern flair, and it just kind of went down the Western road. I mean, I, I had no intention starting out to make it a Western or seem Western-y. Oh, it certainly does. It, just, it flowed onto the page, and I saw no reason to, to change it. No, yeah, I think you, you did a great job. One of the couple, a couple of the lines that I totally picked out was, uh, here's one. It was uh, three loco riders drive their horses hard towards the gun battle, drawn at first by the dust and then by the shooting. I mean, that's that's a very much a western. More well, yeah, no, that, that yeah. could be Zane Gray. But exactly. Think about it. Yeah. If, if there's no, if all the gasoline is broken down, mm -hmm. and and it will be in a month, broken down. Yes. And the roads are all clogged, so nothing will run. Right. Um, how are you going to get around? Exactly. Yeah, that's how I think. So, yeah. Yeah. So it it'd be it has to be horses or something. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you're going to go any distance whatsoever, or bicycles. Yeah, bicycles, but through Texas. Sorry, yeah, <laughs> that's not going to happen. Bicycles aren't going to do you a lot of good if you need to. If you know, if if you're trying to travel, I don't know, 20, 30 miles a day, and if you're uh, presumably um calorie deprived right yeah and further presumably um don't want to get killed by someone because on a bicycle you're not really and this takes place in south texas right mm -hmm. yeah so um yeah you're not riding around on a bicycle that's a vast country yeah it's uh and, and so that's you know it, it just started out with well i guess they've got to have horses but beyond that, I also started imagining, you know, a, a leading man, a protagonist that was sort of a, a you know, a hard-bitten, typical, I won't say Western hero, but I mean, Clint Eastwood certainly came to mind oh, a couple sure. of times while I was writing this. Yeah, definitely. 
Yeah. You know, so so it, it kind of wrote itself because you know I it was like, okay, well, what would a guy that was like a Clint Eastwood or a John Wick or you know somebody that's a typical. I won't say alpha male hero, but he is an alpha male hero. He <laughs> certainly is. set down in the end of the world. Right, right, definitely. Okay, so far we have eight viewers. And uh, Davis, Christopher, Ryan, if you could share this on your social media, let everyone know that we had to improvise. It's just a platform thing. But so, okay. um, yeah, let everyone know that. Let's see. Pam Stack says, hi, Russell and A.R. Shaw. We can hear you. Thank you. Davis Christopher says, good copy. Uh, Jeffrey Daniels says, yes, we can hear you. Okay, let me keep on going here. See if there's any questions. Please send your questions while we continue the interview. Okay, um, one of the other lines that I thought was pretty cool was this one. Lucas squinted through a pair of binoculars at a horizon distorted by the heat of a broiling West Texas sun and scanned the barren landscape. Greenish brown scrub blemished the hillsides like tumors. A big bay stallion shifted beneath him with a shake of his head and he leaned slowly forward and patted its neck for reassurance. Easy, Tango. I know it's been a long one. That is so very much a Western, very South Texas and, uh, or very West Texas, I should say. Um, and you're, you're a fantastic writer. That, the fact that you said greenish brown scrub totally makes me know that you've seen this, you've been there, you've done this, you know the yeah, area. Yeah, the gratuitous tumor reference. I mean, uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> well, you sound surprised, as, as am I. I mean, every time someone says you're a good writer, I'm like, are you sure you got the right guy on this? You, you actually podcast, are a very good writer. Yeah. yeah, no, it puts you right there, and that's what I look for whenever I read, you know. So, uh, and I've been to West Texas, I know exactly what you're talking about, and, and, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm glad. I'm glad it resonated with you. I mean, uh -huh. you know, again, I was after something that you know was more blood meridian than um, the road, I guess. But you know, yeah. I, I'm glad it, it flowed onto the page as it did. It did. And yeah. you know, it's it's been an amazingly popular series. I'd have to say it's my second most popular series now. Against Jet. Jet. Yeah. Yeah. Against Jet. Yeah. No, you wrote that as a as kind of a. I try to describe it as a Mossad thriller. I mean, is well, how yeah, do you describe it's, it? It's it's basically a female bond. Yeah, it really is a yeah. female bond, right? Female bond meets born. I mean, you know, if yeah. you're pitching it to to Hollywood, you need your one sentence elevator pitch, and you just have to say female born with you know bond skills. Yep, that's exactly what <laughs> I. Mean, I my, no, you're my fine. My shot because of this flu. I've been battling it for about four days. So this is probably the first interview I've ever done. Oh gosh. Where I don't sound like a, an old woman screaming from the bottom of the well. <laughs> Sorry about that. I hope you're okay. No, that's okay. But if I if I stop mid-sentence and sound like I'm having a seizure, <laughs> okay. it's, it's, it's all good. That's I'll why. Okay, okay. Okay, so um, let's see. There's a couple of, uh, you are, you can be quite political at times because gosh, I've known you for years. And uh, I yeah. want to avoid politics at all costs because that's who I am. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, no, and I, 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 I would absolutely encourage other authors to avoid politics to the extent possible yep. because you're guaranteed to piss off at least half of your readers. At least half. Yeah, definitely. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm going to different screens here because I want to make sure that I'm getting every everything going on. Okay. 
Okay. Yeah, and if you'll send me if you'll send me another link, I'll be happy to post it on Facebook. The problem is that the other one I sent you a, a, a message. Um, it's, it just reads this live broadcast has expired. So <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure you want that one going up. No, let's see. Hold on just a second. Let me see if I can grab it for you. And now we've got a double. Sorry, I'm going to have to close that and reopen it so that and we're all, you know, we're live. So it's pretty, everyone okay, just well, bear with me. I would suggest to you is you can always just post it onto my timeline. I'm trying. Hold on just a second. We're doing it live. It's okay. In the meantime, I can, you know, I'd sing, but I'm afraid my throat isn't up to it. No, nope. interesting stories. You know what? I, don't know any. I, I I came up with a list of questions because I know how you are. I've been on interviews with you in the past, and uh, okay. <laughs> so these these interview questions come from random questions from thejohnfox.com. Have you ever heard of him? Apparently, he's a big a big author, and I've not heard of him before. Uh, Here you are. Hold on, just no, one I'm second. But and again, I haven't heard of most people, so that doesn't mean anything. And here's a question. It says, um, uh, does writing energize or exhaust you? Uh, both, actually. I mean, obviously, I won't work on something unless I feel like I'm energized. But by the time I'm done, it's exhausting. In fact, by the time I'm done with a book and I've gone through second and third draft and sent it off to the editor, I never want to see it again. Yeah, you go through a third draft? Yeah, I'll do a third. Um, depends on the length of the book and how complicated um, yeah. the writing is. Yeah, for Jet, you'll do that still? You know the character um, so well. I've been doing, I've just been doing two drafts on Jet ever since the first one because it's not, I mean, the prose is decent, but it's not, um, it just didn't, it wouldn't have improved for the third draft. Right. No, I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that's a great question. I mean, that's a great answer, actually. Okay, so here's the yeah. second one. Does a big ego help or hurt writers? Well, I think, you know, I mean, I've been accused, and this will shock you, of being arrogant. And um, not just not just with in my writerly persona, but just in life. And I think you have to have self-confidence. Mm -hmm. um, and that can, that can definitely tip over into the arrogant spectrum. Yeah. But I think as long as you, I think as long as you don't mistake whatever gift you have or whatever skills you have as, as um, being better than others. In other words, you know, I look at it being, for instance, being able to write, you know, five to 10,000 words a day. That's, you know, I get that's a amazing. Lot of authors saying, "How the hell do you manage to do that year after year?" Right. That's <laughs> what I'm thinking. To say, well, it, it's very much like you know, some people are born with the thumbs that you know, when, when they straighten their thumb, they're they're just double jointed. It bends way over and looks kind of weird, and they can do all kinds of tricks with their thumbs. But it's not because they're necessarily better. It's just because that's their genetics. Right. So. They just have this ability that not everyone has. So I think if you if you if if you're if you're smart about this, and this is what I've learned as I've gone along, I, I've become far less arrogant the more I do this, and it's because I see the imperfections more clearly mm -hmm. the longer that I do it. Right. So I, I, I become more increasingly convinced that I'm not very good the longer I continue, and I think that keeps you grounded. No, that's, it yeah. It also keeps, keeps you trying to improve. 
That's true. Yeah. I think that's a very good point. We get less confident as we've gone on. I mean, you've, you've certainly put out a lot more than, I mean, books than I've put out. And it, that's true. You start you start second guessing yourself every time now. I don't know why. Of why course you do, because the more you know, right. um, the more possible the more possible ways you can take something. And you know, if you don't want to get if you don't want to get paralyzed by um, you know analysis and constant second guessing whether this really is the right way to the right twist or the right place in the story to do whatever or are my sentences too long or too short or you know it's i mean there's a million different questions you can ask i think when you're just starting out and you don't really know much you just kind of assume that what you're doing is brilliant right because otherwise you wouldn't be doing it <laughs> and then <laughs> over the years you learn just how far from brilliant what you're doing actually is. <laughs> no, that's very true. We have a couple of comments already. Let's see. Uh, Jax uh, McGuinn says, the series rocks one of the best works. And I have to agree with him. It is really great. Uh, Donna Broussard says, found you. And uh, she was happy about that. Let's see. Um, a lot of people have already shared it. Uh, Claude is a friend of both of ours. He says, bonjour from Montreal. Bonjour. Bonjour. That's uh, we don't let him on the podcast. He's, no. He's, <laughs> I think I did one podcast where he was part of a trifecta that just beat up on me for an hour. That's no fair. That's not cool. Yeah, I was, he's, just, he's just bitter and angry all the time. Bitter Which, and you angry. Know, so am I, but I, I think I conceal it better. Ah, no, I remember being the only female on one of these groups of like 10 guys during the Perseid. Yeah, Perse I, I, I was I'm like, no. No. Okay, so uh, Donna says, what age did you begin writing? 50. You were 50. I'm I was not, 50 I'm nowhere when near I, 50. When, when so. I, well, published, when I, yeah. when I published my first book. Oh, okay, okay. Way I, younger I than me. for years before that, <laughs> but it was all crap, so I never published it. Oh, see, yeah, okay. I've got another question for you. Let's see, um, what, is your, what is your writing kryptonite? My writing kryptonite, yeah. I think fear and greed are the two. Fear and greed? Greed? is also in there somewhere in the mix. That's a good juicing cocktail. I would think stress. You know, stress is one of mine. It's well, misery too. I misery? Mean, I've got you know, quite a few big name um, author friends and every single one that I've asked, hey, when you wrote your hit, now, were you happy or were you miserable? And they're all, they're all like, yeah, I was kind of miserable. Yeah, yeah, I got some of those. So maybe I'm just not miserable enough. That's why I haven't written like a huge hit. Oh, see, there you go. You need to be as miserable as Hemingway, apparently. That's my theory anyway. Yeah, yeah, that works. You know, a funny thing about Hemingway, he was paranoid. I mean, obviously he, he was delusional. He so. was, no, he wasn't. I'll tell you why I know this. So, yeah. so Hemingway, like at the very end, he was, sorry, here's my cat, Henry. You can't see this, Russell, but other, others can. And I want you to know, I recently moved and Henry missed his connection in Detroit, found him finally, scared me to death. Um, but no, he's good. He does not like flying, neither do I. Okay, okay. So, so back to, uh, back to the interview. So Hemingway, he was not paranoid and here's why because uh, he thought someone was following him. 
for years. So His, you're telling the story I was going to tell, which is great. You know. Oh, it. I'm sorry. So yeah, I do know it. So towards the end, he was he was he was paranoid. He thought people were following him, and after his death. After he, you know, sadly uh, ended his own life, he um, or or someone, I don't know exactly who it was, but someone found out that he was actually being followed by the FBI. Right. It was declassified, actually. Right. Right. OK. That's creepy yeah. as heck. Yeah. yeah so, so just because you're paranoid doesn't mean that you're that somebody isn't after you. It's like point. Yes. Yeah. Sadly, no one's following me as far as I know. <laughs> well, <laughs> either you're delusional or you know, you're Pollyanna-ish about your delusion. Probably. Or you're not paranoid enough. Right, exactly. Okay, so some a couple of more questions from the fans. Let's see. Sure. Um, hardest part of research and info gathering for writing, says David Christopher. What is writing. the hardest part? Yeah, what is the hardest part of research and info gathering for writing? Well, you know, the internet has made things a lot easier. In other words, I don't have to do a yeah. year worth of research in order to <laughs> understand the characteristics of a locale and the various cuisines and you know what, what the place looks like. So that would be the easiest part. I think the hardest part is just not getting overwhelmed by the new ship and wanting to prove to the reader that you did all this work Right, no info dumping. It's very, it's very easy to kind of, when you spent three, four months researching something, to want to become an expert at it. And then once you're, you feel like you're an expert, to want to convey that and put it on the page. Kind right. Of, hey, look how smart I am. Right, so no, yeah. I think that one of the hardest things about being a mature writer is to rein that in and only give the reader what they need in order to... to formulate the the image you want to create in their mind no i think you're yeah they call that info dumping and that's uh and you, yeah, you do you just want to give them enough it's like you can just get so embroiled in the local color like it doesn't have to be an info dump yeah but you can just get overwhelming to the point where what the hell does this have to do with anything right right exactly and i try to avoid that i mean you know and my editor thank god is very good about um you know hacking away at my work and making sure I don't go overboard. Yeah, yeah. Do you have a U.S. editor? Yeah, she's she's actually tra traditionally published herself and she's worked for oh, nice. a bunch of big fives. Yeah, now I uh, recently went to Thriller Fest in New York and met a couple of wonderful editors. So I, I'm excited to use them. Um, Although, you know, it depends on what you expect out of an editor, too, right, because I mean, that's true. obviously there's developmental editors, mm -hmm. and then there's, you know, there's line editors. There's they are different, different animals. Yeah, they're different animals completely. Yeah, yeah, completely. And, you know, I mean, I don't really need developmental editing because no. I, I am, I'm pretty thorough in my outlines, and I find developmental editing is better for, for people who have pantsed a story. Right. And they wind up with this this thing on the page. That's and they me. aren't sure yeah. you know, they aren't sure where things should go or how it can be improved. Right. But if you're outlining and you're using uh, you know, if you if you understand the points you want to make, where you want to make them in a story, <laughs> you've already done that work up front. Right, right. So you are a plotter. Yeah, well, I've done it both ways. Uh, it's just that you can. Um, I, I've yeah. struggled with the plotting. I'm a total pantser, so 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, the difference is um, output. Yeah, you if can be you a quicker. Six to ten novels a year, and yeah. you, which equates to what one every five or six weeks. Um, you can't pass. Exactly. No, I, I think it would be great um, to be able to plot and, and do that. It seems so much more efficient, but it, it for me, I just can't well, it do is, it. But what but, you yeah. do is you have to force yourself to do all of the thinking about the story before you put pen to paper. Hmm. Yeah, there's no force in me. I'm not that good. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, I find it's like anything else. It's just a discipline thing. Okay. It's like I hate, you know, the outlining process, but yeah. I sort of resign myself to it. Okay. Because it's like, well, I need to get this done because otherwise, you know, if I if I'm in LA and I want to head for New York, it helps if I've got a map. That's true. Very true. Yeah. I'm no, get I there agree. A lot faster if I have a map and I know the different routes and I can go. Yeah, maybe I should go that way in advance. If I just you know, I know it's east and start driving. It's going to take me a lot longer. I may wind up in the same place, but I just don't have that kind of time. No, I, I totally agree with you. Okay, so Alex. Done, like I said, I've done it both ways, so I know some harsh experience. Yeah, yeah. I should I should be more disciplined. I'm not. Um, Alex Shaw, and I think he's in Dubai still. He says good evening, and he's wow. an awesome writer. Um, yeah. Let's see. Yeah, Alex. Yeah, I know him. Yeah, he's fantastic. Uh, he's a great writer. Actually, he does a lot of good thrillers. He's got a new one out. He's doing crazy good. Let's, good for him. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, uh, Claude says, has Russell ever attended any writing conferences? I will say no, he has not. Yeah, no, I, I don't. I don't attend conferences. No, nah, yeah. Okay. I, um, just, I don't see where the value would be other than rubbing shoulders and networking and you know, I, I kind of hate people. So, <laughs> uh, um, the networking part that that would do so well. Yeah, no, and, I did. You know, if, if I just want to get drunk for three days, I can do that here. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I did Thriller Fest in Manhattan, and uh, you do you get to meet a lot of your buddies. I met, gosh, I met a lot of uh, a lot of them, and it's it's great to be able to to sit around and, and, you know, have a drink with your buddies occasionally, but well, you do you know, also I, learn I, a lot. I would express that is, you know, conferences are, you know, if I were to go to conferences, it would be to meet the people that are too cheap to fly to Cabo and hang out on the beach with me. See, I think you should start the post-apocalyptic <laughs> conference in Cabo. Why not? Hey, uh, you know what? Nobody's stopping anyone from, uh, from doing it. Yep. You should do that. I really think that's a good idea. <laughs> it would be a great place, you know, when, when the lights go out in the U.S. It's, there would be worse places to be. <laughs> okay. okay, so here's another question. What other authors are your friends, and how do they help you become a better writer? Well, I mean, I, I'm not going to answer that because there's a lot of people who don't, wouldn't want to admit that they even know me. I know you. Friends. God, I've known you for years. And I've asked well, you random questions occasionally. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, it, well, it, a lot of people. I mean, I guess a lot of people know that, you know, I was hanging out with you, Howie. Um, uh-huh. You know, uh, there's... Where is yeah. he in the world right now? Because, I mean... He's in the South Pacific somewhere. He's yeah, having, somewhere. You know, he's my idol. Is he? <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, and look, if I could write a few books and then live on a big boat, you know, in the right? South Pacific... Right? On. Exactly. No, there's no part of that that sounds like it sucks. None of that's bad. None of that's bad. And, unless hurricanes, just saying. 
So, well, you know, I mean, into every day a little rain must fly. But you know what? He, he could have, I think he's like, uh, I want to say 100 miles away from where, where some volcano just blew up. Mm -hmm, probably. <laughs> Actually, I've, I've heard that's calmed down. I read that this morning that it's calmed down quite a bit. Um, Jack says, do you have any uh, guest rooms, Russell? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and in low season, the rent is cut by 35%. So. There you go, yeah. Uh, Michael Don Gibbon says, pandemic spreading at conferences and large crowds. There's, there's something called the convention crud and everyone gets it. I, I did not get it this year. Yay, yay me. Uh, but I had a lot of uh, a lot of traveling to do. I, I only go to Thriller Fest. There's there's like three or four major conferences, and that's the only one I go to. Um, well, you know, it's it's. I used to travel a lot, and um, yeah, you get onto a tube with uh, with recirculated air. Yeah. And yeah, your your immune system's going to get slammed by just about everything. And conferences throw ten thousand people in a, in a hall with recirculated air. Two thousand people who are not experienced. Who who don't who don't travel a ton? Yeah, you throw them into one building with alcohol for five days. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. So I mean, there's nothing wrong with conferences. I, I certainly, but also, I mean, hey, I'm all the way down here in Mexico. I, you know, I, you're living the I life. Have no reason to go back to the old country. Yeah. You know, I don't, uh, and and I don't see. I think I've only been back to the U.S. once in the last eight years, nine years. Really. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, I don't feel like I'm missing anything and Okay. I just don't feel like how would I benefit by going to a conference? I guess that's that would be the question. Probably not at all. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, but let's see what other questions. If you could tell your younger writing self anything, what would what would it be? Oh, uh, I would say buy Tesla, even if it looks like it's a scam. Really? But <laughs> <laughs> then I wouldn't have to write. I would have just bought Tesla like three, four years ago. And I'd be Darn. Yeah, that's for sure. But do you enjoy the writing? I mean, do you enjoy uh, you it? Know, I, I do, but I go through, I've been, I've been sort of, I, I hit the wall about three months ago. You did? After I finished up Quantum Synapse, I started a new Ramsey's. And it just really didn't gel. It was like pulling teeth. So I stopped that about three quarters of the way through. Yeah. And now I just started a new jet. So this is the first time in the last seven years. Wow. <laughs> I haven't been actively writing yeah. every month. And now is it is it any, I'm not asking for personal information, but is it is it personal stress that has caused this? No, any I, think, no? I think I just hit, uh, you know, yeah. the, with 60 novels that I've just, I, I'm, I'm just much more careful about yeah. wanting to make sure I'm not just repeating myself. No, that, that's and, good. Uh, you know, I just, I, maybe I'm just being harder on the work too. I'm just being pickier. Yeah. But I just wasn't pleased with the direction that this book was going. Yeah. And I figured, hey, you know what? You've written, it's not like there's a shortage of Russell Blake books out there. No, you're doing amazing. They're so inclined. Right. So, you know, I took a month and a half off and I read some craft books. I've watched too many, you know, I, 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 I watched a whole bunch of um, stuff on YouTube. I kind of caught up on pop culture and just, you know, sort of immersed myself in in the whole media thing yeah because you know when you're writing all the time you're, you're kind of writing all the time yep i do a lot of uh reading of science journals i don't know why that seems to help me kind of 
pick up on things or, or come up with new ideas? Yeah, and it's not that the, I mean, I, I honestly, I have at least 20 books that I want to write. I mean, yeah. you know, I uh, 20 concepts. So it's not that I don't have the ideas I want to write. I think I just wasn't happy with the execution. And I was probably just a little bit burnt out from, you know, this output, this consistent output. So I decided to, you know, kind of take the summer off and gotcha. recharge my batteries, which has been great. I started the new jet and, um, that's flowing very easily, and I'm back to where I'm enjoying writing. But mm -hmm. you know, when you do it like I do, where where it's you know content generation, it's not following my muse. Um, yeah. You know, you, you're writing even when you don't want to. Yeah. No, I, I get it. That's you have to do it. And, um, yeah, and although I will say I've been I've started advertising now, and I want to say my my sales have increased by about forty percent just in the last since I started advertising. So that takes a lot of pressure off um, in terms mm -hmm. of the, the, oh, I need to get another book out every every six to eight weeks. Otherwise, you know, everyone's going to forget who I am. Right. No, I, I totally get that. So advertising is huge and yeah, it has to be done, but it can also yeah, take I, up a ton of your time. It does. Yeah. Um, Kim Creswell, she says, have you ever thought about writing children's books featuring your dogs? I know you have beloved dogs. Yeah, I do. I, I, I love animals. Um, I, I'm probably the wrong guy to, you know, to, you know, daddy drinks because you cry. It wouldn't be a, a popular book <laughs> with a kitty. So I'm probably not the right guy to be writing children's books. Some would argue I'm not the right guy to be writing adult books either, but that's a different, that's a different argument. Nah, I don't think so. Let's see. I've got other questions for you. So what was the best money you ever spent as a writer? Best money I ever spent as a writer. Yeah. That is an excellent question. Well, I can't take credit. Honestly, I have to I say, have to say yeah. the best money I've ever spent as a writer are probably in, in order. Um, professional covers, uh -huh. professional editing. Yes and advertising yep yeah all that's is it. free yeah that's so besides writing stuff did you oh, ever have the treadmill desk what you I'm have a treadmill that. desk yeah no the treadmill desk is absolutely the best money i ever spent wow so stephen conkley started that years and years ago i seem to remember well i was ahead of him were you really yeah cool. um, cj lyons told me i want to say a year into this said hey I've been using a treadmill desk. It's the best thing ever. You need to get one. Now blah, I need blah, one. Blah, blah. So I shelled out the 16 or 1800 bucks, whatever it was. And I never looked back. I've been, I swear by the thing. So I you, you write miles a day. Wow. I lost 20 something pounds since I got it and I kept it off for six years. So. Wow. I've got to do that now. That's fantastic. No, it's amazing. I would, yeah, because if you're, it, look, the sitting is a problem. Is a sedentary, yeah. Uh, Pursuit. Right. I typically will run at around three o'clock. I've got to get out and do something, right? So I go to yoga or I run. Sure. And uh, but yeah, during the day it drives me crazy. You've got to get up is and that move a around. Cat in the yes, I'm sorry. This is Henry, my cat, and he yeah, will. I was gonna say. I, I, I thought. Mm -hmm. I, am I hearing things? No, he's he's my buddy. He's my sure. my buddy. <laughs> okay. He's got a lovely singing voice. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes, he does. So, um, what is your favorite underappreciated novel? Your most favorite? Underappreciated novel? Uh huh. Boy, 
they're all underappreciated. <laughs> um, so it can be one that you've written or one that someone else has written. Boy. Yeah, I know. Sorry. I've got to, you know, I'll, I'll stick with my own simply because okay. otherwise I'll just be spending the next you know, 20 minutes trying to remember all the underappreciated novels I've read. Um, <laughs> I would say probably my most underappreciated novel is Upon a Pale Horse. Really? Okay. Yeah, uh, because it got really no coverage whatsoever. Huh. I mean, because it's not really part of a series. And, you know, yeah. readers seem to favor books that are in a series. But they do. Um, yeah. between that and probably Geronimo Breach um, is another one. Hmm. I just, I love Geronimo Breach. And probably, I mean, I know Black has a big following, but it seems like Black just never mm -hmm. caught fire. And I love Black. In fact, somebody contacted me the other day and said, out of all your books that you have uh, on audiobooks, which one would you, you know, if I only had to listen to one, mm -hmm. which one would you recommend? I was like, oh, I wouldn't even quite, you know, I didn't even hesitate. I was Black. Yeah, mine is The French Wardrobe. It was, it was a one standalone book. It's a mystery thriller about a widow and I feel the same way. I think it's a good, I think it's a good book, but yeah, yeah it's, it's but not the, a part of a series. The, yeah. Yeah. The, the market is what the market is. And if you're not a traditionally published author, right. putting out a single book that isn't in a series, boy, you, you got your work cut out for you. Yep. No, I agree. I, I found that out myself as well. So, okay. So we have some more reader, um, uh, questions. Uh, Graylin Hobbs says, what advice do you have for authors' books that are or seem to be disjointed? That seem to be what? Disjointed. So um, I guess what I could say is that uh, um, if you have an audio book connected to this book, there's not much you can do. You can change the covers, but you can't really do much else to, you can't take it down and change the cover and rewrite it. And if, if you've gone past the point of making an audio book, you're, you're kind of sunk. Yeah, um, you're screwed unless you want to spend a lot of money editing the audio book and having the guy re or the redo it and everything. The narrator right. Re re -read it. right. So that, I guess that's my only answer here. Let's see. Um, skipping back and forth that makes it hard to follow oh she just means like if you if you've got a book that skips back and forth and it makes it hard to follow then okay sorry well, Graylin. I, know, I guess the question is to whom right because, right yeah i don't know. You know i mean jet reads like that I, I got a couple of reviews you know back in the early days that said oh you know it jumps around from present day to flashbacks etc i found that Some hard of my to follow. yeah and you know i mean as an author i'm not supposed to go online and say well i'm sorry you're stupid <laughs> that's, that's not you know it's just not you it's sort of frowned upon but by the flip side of it, you know, over a million people have read that book. And if only three people were confused by, right. you know, past tense and now present day, well, maybe it's not all that confusing. Yeah, yeah. No, I get it. Let's so, see. Uh, you know, so to whom? I guess that would be the, yeah. To, now, to, I, I, having said that, I don't do too many flashbacks anymore because as I've gotten better at this, I just sort of realized that, you know, it pulls anything that pulls the reader out of the story right. isn't good. But, but sometimes flashbacks are necessary. You know, I, I Ooh, agree. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and they can be done in the intro. It doesn't mean it has to be ham-fisted. Right. I mean, you could do them 
you can do them, you know, in A.T. Riddle's first book, you know, he's got, you know, probably mm -hmm. 35,000 words of, you know, flashback, you know, as, as, as reading a diary. So there's, yeah. you know, there's a lot of ways to do it. It doesn't right. have to be, it doesn't have to be done in a confusing manner. Yep. No, I agree. Yeah, totally. Okay. So, uh, as a writer, um, and I know the answer to this for you. So as a writer, what would you choose as your spirit animal? <laughs> My spirit animal? Uh-huh. I'd try to figure out probably a crow. No, you can't choose Crows crow. tend to, you know, well, Cuervo, Jose Cuervo. Cuervo no. means crow. You can't say that. No, that's not the answer. No, no. no, there were a couple of years ago. You had a great answer for this, and I thought I totally knew the answer to this. I should have written it down. Panda. Oh, okay, sure. Yeah, so it was it was panda. Sorry, I'm I'm making you know I'm, I'm okay. Yeah. Well, see, that's that's a problem with with lying for a living. You know, <laughs> yeah, lying for a living. Keeps up with all the lies. So. <laughs> I don't know why that stuck in my head, but during the Pharisee it yeah. collapse. You know, we well, kept talking about pandas. Pandas are marvelous creatures. They, yeah. they don't get nearly enough respect. No, I agree. Poor guys. Yeah. And they're also sedentary. They are? They're quite they a and they seem to serve no useful purpose other than to make other pandas. So Right. And and it's like herding cats when you have a bunch of little ones, just like writers, like we all go off on our own things. You know, I can't sure. imagine being a caretaker of pandas. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Okay, so yeah, I keep waiting for I keep well, I shouldn't even go down this road. No, go <laughs> ahead. No, I just had a completely No, you now know, you have to go. And no. I was gonna express it and then I realized, thank God, that this is live. You can I say probably it. should for the first time in my life try using a filter. So uh huh. There you go. There you okay. Go. I will I will go with that then. So uh, <laughs> how do you select the names of your characters? I just first thing that pops into my head. Really? Yeah. So sometimes I'll like research certain things. Yeah. Here's the kitty. Well, no, there's like specific characters. So like uh, I have a new series coming out and um, uh, I needed I needed a really strong female character and I named her Dane Talbot. Okay. And, and that's a darn, just like Jet. Jet is a very strong female name, right? But that just popped into my head. I was on a Did it really? and it just popped into my head. And I actually, the cover popped into my head, which I never actually used. It was going to be a black cover with Jet kind of in red metal foil and some sort of Asian characters, you know, kanji script or something. I mean, it just popped yeah. into my head fully formed. Oh, okay. So sometimes they just come to you totally. Yeah, no, it comes to me usually, I, you know, some drink, alcohol is probably involved. Yeah. Um, like yeah. I said, ideas are dime a dozen. I got a million of them. Okay, okay. I thought that was good for a minute or two. That's pretty yeah. funny. Um, let's see, there's comments about my cat. Ross Elder says Henry wants his own show. Yeah. Yeah, anytime you put a cat on a show, that's going to be the star of the show. Yeah, he's pretty cool. Um, and he missed his flight, his connection in Detroit, which is hilarious. So um, if well, you. Nobody wants to be stuck in Detroit. Even oh, cats. Right? The poor guy. So they call me at like. Myriad readers in Detroit. Right? They call me at two in the morning, something like that, and say, your cat has missed his flight in Detroit. I'm like, what? Is Where is he? Is he drinking again? Yeah, was he drinking? You know, lollygagging <laughs> on his way Damn to the it. next connection. I told him. Damn it. <laughs> 
Right? God, it was funny. Um, uh, Graylin Hobbs says, uh, Ah, Russell, you and I have spoken many times. Can you comment on the experience of writing with Clive Cussler? Yes, that's huge. Yeah, no, it was obviously it was a huge thrill because I grew up reading his books. So let's start there. And right. He's probably one of the most famous authors on the planet. Yes. And really um, tall. He's really tall. Yeah, and meeting him and hanging out with him and hearing his stories and sort of developing story ideas with him. It was it was just there was no part of it that wasn't, you know, memorable and great. And, you know, I, I have to kind of pinch myself that I got the opportunity to yeah. write a couple of novels with him. I mean, it's a pretty short list of people that get to write not one but two novels with one of their all time heroes. Right. Yeah, that's pretty so, amazing. How cool is that? Is he just really easy? Like I, this uh, past month, I, I, you know, I met Lee Child, and he's he's funny as heck. Yeah, um, here he's a great guy. Yeah, he is a good guy. And then uh, uh, George R. R. Martin, who's mm -hmm. who's yeah, he's a, a quiet fella. But so so uh, <laughs> Clive Hustler, he seems like he would be more personable. Yeah, he's very, you know, he's, he's, he's lived an incredible life. So, yeah. you know, he's got a real zest for adventure and exploration mm -hmm. and architecture and archaeology. So, you know, he's sort of a renaissance man. Yeah, okay. I mean, he used to bike across the United States. Did he really? Wow. Oh, yeah. He no, was in the I mean, military. The, the man's, you know, the man's lived a life. Wow. And he's almost 90 now. Yeah. So, you know, he's... he's He's a legend. Right. He's almost 90 years old now. He's got to be like 88, I want to say, 87, 88. Yeah, he's so, something like that. You know, I have a feeling when he's going to his grave, he's not going to feel like he was cheated out of any experiences. Let me put it that way. No, I agree. Yeah. How cool, though, that you yeah, actually got great. to. I mean, what, 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 what an experience. You know, a life well lived. Yeah. No kidding. And that, that's that's what we all strive for, really. But few of us actually achieve that, you know? Yeah, uh, well, I just want, you know, Coke and hookers, but uh, <laughs> oh, I can well live with, sure, that'd be yeah. fine too, I guess. No, <laughs> okay. Uh, Graylin says, any plans for the Oregon Files with Clive? Any more plans? Well, I didn't, I, I didn't write the Oregon Files, so no, it really hasn't come up. Okay, okay. I did the, uh, I did the Fargo series. The Fargo, the Fargo series? Yeah, I remember seeing your book at an airport where I was like wandering around for some reason with Clive Kessler. Yeah. I thought, wow, which one, was the so Eye cool. of Heaven or Solomon Curse? Solomon Curse. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was one of the Fargos. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, now Robin is writing that. She's a, a very gifted um, female author who you know brings more of the female touch to the. It's a couples. Okay. You know, it's kind of like heart to heart, the old TV show. Yeah. Um, you know, but as adventures, so it's probably better written from a female perspective anyway. So uh -huh. she's doing a marvelous job with it. And everyone's happy. So like, you know, good. you know what I, I found interesting or something, you know, murder mysteries with Angela Lansbury. I'm probably saying it wrong. You know yeah. what I'm talking about? Do you know who writes that now? No. Uh, John Land, a male. Really? Yeah. You know who that is? John Land? Yeah. So, I mean, he writes those series now. So it's, it's, um, you know, males and females can totally jump into these different roles. It's, it's, 
you know, you can do these things. Like I write most of my male characters. Most people would never know that. So it's good. Yeah, and I think, I, I think the way it's just turned out is that I, well, I want to say most of my novels have a female protagonist. That's right. You do this really well. I wrote mostly males and, and that works out fine for me, but you do the female parts and, and you do it, you do it well. Well, so, Spoken as a female, I will take your word for it. There you go. Yeah. So uh, Graylin says Solomon Curse was great. And let's see. Don, uh, Michael Don Gibbon says, what past books or authors influence you to start writing? Um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I read all of the usual suspects when I was growing up. You know, Ludlum, Kessler, um, Lucare, uh, okay. Follett. Um, and I, I certainly John Grisham, you know, mm -hmm. his first novel was amazing. Um, a time to kill is still one of mm -hmm. the best Tom Harris. Um, you know, I mean, I want to say that silence of the lambs is structurally one of the best books ever written. Really? Um, I wouldn't know so that. I, I, I think, you know, I, I think uh, yeah, I just, that's what I read. And, you know, that inspired me to, to, when I, when I sat down and started writing, I sort of just did really bad knockoffs of the stuff I really liked. Aww. And then as I get, which thankfully I never published. <laughs> Pardon me. And then when I got good enough to where I felt like, okay, maybe maybe I could make a couple of shekels, you know, putting this on the shelf. Yeah. Um, I, I developed enough of my own voice, so I didn't feel like I was knocking off other people's stuff. But um, I think uh, no, all authors imitate. So I, you know, I've read probably three thousand books by now, so mm -hmm. I, I just. I don't know that it's imitation though. Don't you agree? So like every single storyline can be traced back to a Shakespeare's show or novel. Well, and, and all the archetypes, I mean, you know, the hero's yeah. journey. Yes. And, uh, yeah. there, there's really no new ideas. The, right. the challenge is really in, in saying the familiar in a exciting new way and in an innovative way right in a way that's surprising and delighting to the reader yeah because otherwise you're just regurgitating stuff that's probably been done far better than you'll ever want to or be able to mm -hmm. no i agree yeah so i i don't i have to say i don't think it's it's so much imitation of someone else is that we are telling a story that is you know in your own flavor you know? Yeah, but we all start out. I mean, let's be honest. We all yeah. start out like when you first start writing. Um, you know, of course, you're going to be imitating other people because you you aren't. You're like a toddler. You, right, you don't sure. know what you're doing yet. So yeah. of course, yeah. you're going to imitate the people around you until you develop the strength to stand up on your own. No, that's true. And yeah. you've got some experience, and maybe hopefully you. You've learned some stuff about craft and, and story structure, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And then, then you can branch out and start to be original. But until then, you know, steal from the best. Yep, probably. <laughs> okay, so let's see. Uh, how do you, let's see, if you didn't write, what would you do for work if you well, were not a writer? I, mean, I have a design and build company in, in Cabo. I mean, I build oh. and I design you know, really beautiful and massive um, vacation homes for people. I did so, not know that. Oh, yeah, no, I, 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 I probably built 20 homes 
in, in the Cabo area, and I've designed over a hundred of them. So well, why haven't you started the post apart conference? Yeah. I really enjoy doing. That's cool. You should start. You should make a hotel and a conference center for all of the post apocalyptic people. We should all go down. Nice. Yep. Well, yeah. None of the homes free are alcohol. Yeah, you should do that. But no, anything, you know, my, my entire life has been filled with, you know, two different types of pursuits. Pursuits that were all about money, where <laughs> I didn't really like what I was doing, but mm. I could make lots of money doing it. Yeah, yeah. And pursuits where I was involved in creative um functions that would that really juiced me and got got my the creative part of my brain going and i always love doing those but the problem is that trying to figure out a way to make them pay well it right was the hard part yeah no i i get it okay yeah, so architecture i i you know i taught myself architecture and wow. i'm pretty good at it now I'm, I'm working with some of the top names in in, in the business I never knew this yeah. about you, and I've known yeah. you for years, so I didn't know this. Yeah, yeah. that's cool to know. I, yeah, so I have a cousin that lives down there. Job. Yeah, okay, that's your other job. So if you weren't a writer, that's what you would be doing. Yeah, okay. I'd be, I'd be designing homes, which I still do to this day. Not nearly as many, but um, I still probably design three to five homes a year. Oh, wow, that's very cool. Okay, so what was your, you're obviously a wonderful uh, a reader as well, and you've read quite a lot. So what was your favorite childhood book? Childhood book? Yeah, so childhood, not just, not just. Uh, um, I, I read a lot of, you know, Lovecraft. I hate to admit mm -hmm. that. <laughs> I, you know, when I was probably nine, you know, I would devour Lovecraft, and I read everything he ever did. Uh, I read a lot of Poe. So oh, I was yeah. reading some pretty dark, twisted shit, which probably explains a lot. Oh, same. Uh, Stephen King as a third grader. Yeah, that's probably not cool. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm a little older than you, so I don't think King was really just barely. I was that young, but yeah. So. so what about what about young child? What was your favorite, like, you know, eight year old boy story? That's what I was reading. No, <laughs> no way. Yeah, I, so I didn't. My parents weren't very. We're, we're very, they weren't spending a lot of time, you know, <laughs> making, you know, yeah. acting as gatekeepers for what my reading material was. By the time I was 10, I was reading, you know, nothing but adult books. I mean, huh. so what about, I started um, with stuff like, you know, I mean, obviously the Hardy Boys and stuff like okay. that. But within, you know, I, I went straight to Lovecraft after that. Wow. In fact, I remember I horrified, I want to say my third grade or fourth grade teacher by doing a really bad knockoff of a Lovecraft short story. So when they said, oh, it's short story day, we're gonna try to write that. People were like, my kitty cat is fluffy, I love my kitty cat. And I wrote something called Pigeons from Hell about, cannibal, you know, about demonic pigeons attacking, yeah. shred you know, a, a, a group of children to pieces. Yikes, that's pretty yeah. funny. No, and it's gone downhill from there. Yeah, pretty much. Yep. Uh, let's see. Graylin says Sam and Remy making another appearance soon. Who? Sam and Remy. Sam and Remy. Well, Sam and Remy are are Clive's um are Clive's creation. Oh, okay. That's, uh, that's, that's okay. Uh, and yes, so that would be. Have. I don't know what is he usually releases in September, October of every year. So pretty much like clockwork. Okay. 
I'm sure that there's been another one. Okay, and let's see, Michael Don Gibbon says, uh, he says, Mac Bolin at 11 years old. That's what he was reading, apparently. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Uh, where the wild things were, or are, where the wild things are, which was a huge favorite of mine as a child. Yeah, no, I was probably reading Penthouse letters to the editor or something. <laughs> so no, it's terrible. You're terrible. Well, yeah. <laughs> okay, gosh, it's been an hour already. Can you believe that? Well, I can, judging by the fever I'm running. So. Oh, I'm so sorry you're not feeling well. well I mean, look, I committed to doing this, and yeah, I, I've oh. written I've written whole novels with a broken hand, so this oh. is nothing. Hey, I, I ran on a broken foot in basic training in did the Air Force. Really? I did. Yep, I had three fractured toes. <laughs> Oh, so there you go. Right. We do what so we have to do. Try typing three quarters of a book like with only your left hand. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. I would no. <laughs> we yeah, do no, the. That one you know. took a little longer. Which one was that? I think that was Jet. That was like one of the prequels. I think it was Jet Ops Files. The, How did you that break the one-handed book? How did you break your hand? Uh, I had uh, an accident where I was wearing a big watch, like, you know, uh, probably a 48 or 50 millimeter or, yeah, millimeter watch. Okay. And I landed in just the wrong way. You know, I hit it in my hand against, and it bent it backwards and snapped the metacarpals against the, the crown of the watch. Oh my gosh. And it acted exactly like if you took a hammer and just slammed it against the top of your hand. Oh, wow. I'm so yeah. sorry. <laughs> well, two of them. What's funny is the doctor that I saw, the orthopedic surgeon, showed me his hand and said, yep, big watches did the same thing. And he had a big lump where he had broken wow. his hand in the same way. Wow. See, you'll so have I to don't use that. Watches oh, okay. You'll have to use that in the story, though. Well, yeah, it's still a little too pedestrian, but yeah. <laughs> hey, these things, you know, we, we, these odd things we can always use. These are experiences hey, God to knows use. If I kept every pedestrian idea out of my novels, I wouldn't write any. So. See? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's see. I always try to do something on, on this show that, that um, how do readers help authors? Do you have any hints or tips? How do readers help authors? Yeah, how to, besides <laughs> reviews, how can we help them? Or how can they well, help reviews us? Reviews are the single most important thing. It really is. So like, I mean, they yeah. really are. I mean, good reviews, bad reviews <laughs> don't really help. Don't really uh, help. I don't read my reviews, so, but. I don't really no. either. Not not anymore. I used to be obsessive about them, but I, you know, I might read read them every now and then. Just I the did like for the first six months, and then I realized that um, I was kind of on the right track, and there yeah. was going to always be people that hated my stuff, mm -hmm. and there were going to be people be people that loved it. Right. So I didn't see you know what I was getting. It just seemed unhealthy. Yeah. It almost was like I don't know. It felt like being a peeping tom or something. So, it kind of, it kind of I is. Just, you just have to walk to away, right? Yeah. Sense. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, maybe. Like, is BookBub some place that you you think uh, writers should go to say, hey, like our, you know, follow us on BookBub, or are there any other platforms that you think are are cool? You know, I'm just terrible at that stuff. I'm, I'm the wrong guy to, to okay. ask about author marketing. I mean, it, I'm so late to the party on advertising. It's, you know, I feel like everybody else in the world knows all the stuff that I've just learned in the last couple of months. 
Okay. So, okay. Yeah, I, I encourage people to, to sign up for my mailing list to go to my blog. But beyond yeah, okay. that, um, I think just keep buying the books if yes. they look like they're engaging and don't don't feel bad about returning them if they suck. Don't say that. Well, no, I mean they, they don't need they, to know that. <laughs> no, they don't need to know that. No, no, no. Well, no, I mean, I've had people return books and say, oh, so we've all had like, that. Great, return yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. Now, so I also have people that are like, I have the last 13 books of yours that I bought, I hated. And, you know, you'll see that right? every single one, you know, gets returned after two weeks. There's always, and then this one lady's review always comes in. It's about time to end this. It's horrible, blah, blah, blah. Right. So after the 13th people, book. Yeah, the 13th book. It does, exactly. And Henry's attacking my curtains now. So um, where can people find your stuff? Uh, well, you can go to Amazon. You can find me on Facebook, although I'm not sure how much longer I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be on Facebook. At why? Russell.Blake.Books. And why? putting in Russell Blake. Why are you getting off of Facebook? Um, you know, I've been, you know, I, since taking a couple of months off, I'm not sure, and it's not just Facebook, but I'm not okay. sure that the whole dopamine-induced, um, you know, immediate gratification, monkey, monkey stabbing at a screen yep. um, a thousand times a day thing is necessarily that good for humanity yes, or, yeah. or your own sanity. No, and I agree. I think it shortens your ability. I think social media is valuable, you know, in terms of feeling a sense of engagement with other people, but it's not really a very good substitute for real life, and mm -hmm. it's being more and more used as a substitute for real life. I think you're right on with that. pretty quickly. Yeah, you're right on with that. I agree. And then, I don't know, I've done the same thing where I've really pulled back. I've got a lot going on, but people, you know, they'll text or email me and say, where have you been? You know, they just want to make sure you're okay. And that's okay. Yeah, which is, that's which great. Is fine. I'm not saying everybody else should do the same thing. I'm just saying, yeah. from my own productivity um, right. standpoint, yeah. and just ideologically, philosophically, mm -hmm. you know, I, I don't think that experiencing life through a screen is really how I want to go through life. It's not healthy. No, I agree. I totally agree. And I want. I worry about this next generation. Well, I think I yeah. think you're already seeing it in increased suicide rates and depression <laughs> rates and everything else. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I completely, totally agree. I mean, because think about it, it, it as a, a brain is developing and neural networks are, are being formed, hmm. you know, if, if, if you're constantly, you know, if you're um, assimilating the world through one and one to four sentence bytes of information, and mm -hmm. you're constantly um, glued to a screen for either validation or to be contentious with other people or to seem like you're part of the club. Um, mm -hmm. You know, your, your neural networks are going to develop in a completely different manner than, say, if you're reading novels. No, I, yeah, or, that's or very true. long form, you know, nonfiction. Yeah, I think that's, that's actually a basis for a great novel or a series. Because uh, it really is, <laughs> if you think I'll about it. That on the pile. Yeah, you'll have to. Because <laughs> I think it wouldn't be bad. Yeah, you could have a future where everybody, well, it's kind of like Clockwork Orange, isn't it? It really is. Yeah, yeah. Except instead of classical music, you know, you have you have machine, you have machine created synth pop that's you know all written by the same three Scandinavian fifty year olds. 
<laughs> and, and you've got a society that basically knee-jerk reacts to whatever they're told is today's outrage. Well, I'm not yeah. sure that's a healthy way to go through life. Nope. It's, it's, there's something called um, uh, uh, people pleasers and in, in dysfunctional relationships, you know, um, group relationships. There's something called, uh, oh gosh darn it, I can't think of it right this second. It's called... Um, People, you have people pleasers and then you have injustice collectors. Okay. And I really think that once, if you spend most of your time online, a lot of people become these injustice collectors and their const, their sole mission is about you're doing this wrong. You're doing this. I mean, they have no life really. It's right. It's and always and the sad part about that yeah, is, you know, it's I sad. You know, what, you know, I'm 57 now. And I think that's old enough to sort of see how how fast life goes by, right? Yeah. And how precious you know every day is. So if you're mm -hmm. spending most of it glued to a screen and not experience, experiencing the world, mm -hmm. you're living in a matrix. And you know the, the folks that basically are creating the content that you are willingly subjecting yourself to mm -hmm. don't necessarily have your best interest at heart. That's very true. Yeah. No, I agree. Okay, so we have Sean Clay says uh, a suggestion is to support authors by going to book signings if nearby. He drove three hours one Saturday and the only person wanted one book signed. It was an honor to be invited out to a place, which um, I don't know. Well, I don't I, do book signings, so I'm I don't sure, anymore. Maybe. But yeah, that's okay, that buddy. Support me. Just yeah. Look at. Yeah. Hookers require money, so <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, and Michael John Don Gibbon says uh, people are losing their so social skills. You know, as uh, as like we used to do as children. You know, we learn social skills by interacting, and people don't do that anymore. That's very true. Well, yeah. and the sad part is that there that people are also refining and learning skills that aren't useful in the real world. Like That's being true. a complete asshat yep. is not necessarily a recipe it's not for a great... success or getting along with other people. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And surrounding yourself with a bunch of yes men, with an echo chamber of, of like minds who believe everything that you do, um, that's called a cult in the real world. Right. It's not it's not yeah. healthy behavior. Yeah. It's just like, you know, why you don't want to, you know, have sex with your sister. It's just from a genetic <laughs> standpoint. It's just a good idea. Right. It weakens, it weakens the species. So uh, I just, you know, I've just uh, over time kind of come to the conclusion that a lot of social media is nothing. There's just nothing good in it for most people. Yeah. They're being herded and controlled and indoctrinated. They're they're being directed, inculcated with with a lot of just nonsense and a lot of um, a lot of habits mm -hmm. that aren't that aren't helpful for them as human beings evolving into you know reasonable people. I think the one redeeming factor, though, is that. You, you are able to connect with people around the world. I would never have met you or talked to you, you know, tonight. No, that part is awesome. That's the that's one, the one thing. Part. Yeah, that's the cool that's thing. The seductive it part is. It's yeah. like a fellowship and being able to connect with people all over the world and also to have instant access to massive amounts of information. 
for research that's incredible that's, that's very true although i still love going to my locations yeah yeah well there's no substitute for that right definitely but, yeah you know if you're if you're doing uh you know if you're researching for instance the pyramids you can you know you, you, you can't can go do there. what would have taken three years worth of research in a month online. right mm-hmm. very true yeah so that's the good part, but the bad part is that it's being used as a societal sort of indoctrination um, tool, and I, yeah, I just don't see that as positive. But that's just me. Maybe maybe I'm no, completely wrong. I think we kind of learned that through uh, through the latest con congressional hearings. You know, I think that that's true. Well, and you can just look Facebook, YouTube, a bunch of others today, um, or in the last 24 hours, have shut down you know, content for really politically motivated reasons. Oh. So, you know, these mega corporations, which are really just propaganda arms for the government after a certain point, because they all have government contracts and most of them got government money. Like the CIA has a venture capital fund. Most people don't know that. They have a venture capital fund, and that venture capital fund has funded people like Google, people like Facebook, people like because they understand that if you control the information, you control the dialogue, and if you control the dialogue, you can then control the outcome hmm. of the dialogue. Yeah. So I just think giving yourself over, putting yourself in the hands of folks who don't have your best interests at heart is a really bad idea. No, I agree. Yeah, definitely. Um, that's one of, not political. That's just no, it's not. It's not. I don't want to live in 1984. <laughs> I, no. I lived through 1984 once. It was awesome, by the way. But I was know, there. Yeah, I was there. The literary 1984. Right. I just don't want to live in that world. Oh gosh, no, no. It was uh, no that literary. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I read it. It was it was it was scary. It's um, go go back and reread it now and just contrast it to how. Uh, oh no, you know, I've read it recently. I read it recently. Within the last year, I read it, and oh, it, it okay. is very so, scary. Yeah, one of the you you were such a great writer, and one of the last one of the one of the lines that you wrote recently was uh, rule number one of and it, it 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 has something to do with what we're talking about. So rule number one of successful engagement: always avoid a fair fight. That's something that you wrote in this novel, and uh, it's it's also a rule in uh, what is it? The rules of war. Oh, okay. It well, is. It, yeah, it's similar to one of the the rules in the rules of war, and uh, but that's also it. It it kind of applies to what we're talking about tonight politically. If you yeah, think about it, the problem yeah. is that, that I mean, one of the th real problems. You know, I live in Mexico, so uh, yeah, my interest in in U.S. politics is basically the same as my interest in, for instance, Brexit or in European politics. It's as an outsider with his nose pressed up against the glass. Uh -huh. So, you know, I, I'm just fascinated how it seems like, at least on social media, it's impossible to have a discussion that isn't viewed through a political lens. And that's something completely new to me. Yeah. That, yeah. that, that just didn't happen in discourse, say, three years ago, four years ago. It wasn't, you know, it just, everything wasn't, you know, oh, you're a conservative or, oh, you're a liberal or, oh, you know, I mean, there weren't these labels and people weren't encouraged to view things through a prism of, you know, everything's politicized. But now it seems like it's impossible to have any reasonable discussion 
without taking a, 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 a fringe view at either the far right or the far left. I don't know. I, I stand on the side. I, I, I stand. I think it's a choice. I stand on the side. I don't claim any political party and I, I watch and see how other people act, but I'm an author. You're an author. So we, we kind of observe society and that's, that's what I do. And I try my best not to engage in it. No, um, no, I'm not yeah. saying engage or don't engage. I'm yeah. just saying it's fascinating to me that people have been inculcated. That right. No, I agree. This is how, this is normal. This is how you should view the world through yeah. this particular lens yeah. out of all other lenses you could use yeah. that this is the lens you should use and it seems like i'd say you know 80 to 90 percent of the stuff that i read on facebook that you know it's very political through a political lens no it really is it. yeah i don't either it, it drives me crazy and i do stay off quite a lot because of that um yeah. so, so i think it's driving a lot of people away and then what yeah. you're left with is a very vocal minority right a very vocal, very vocal, media. right, exactly. It's those vocal few that kind of dominate things, yeah. Right, which, hey, they're welcome to it is my point. Yeah, no, I agree, I totally agree. So Michael says uh, the zombie generation is upon us. And then Graylin says uh, the only good part of social media is keeping up with distant relatives, sure. As uh, uh, I say, and you and I would have never met, wouldn't have changed that for the world, you know. So yeah, we agree that there's, some wonderful um, things about social media, but there, there are some horrible things about social media at the same time. Um, yeah, and I'm not saying social media bad, I'll never do it, blah, blah, yeah. blah. I'm just saying that I think that if, if, if you're spending, me personally, if I'm spending more than five to 10% of my available leisure time sure. online, I'm doing something I, I don't wanna do. In other words, exactly. I don't view that as being positive. Right, and we used to, you know, in the in the early '90s and '80s, we didn't have this, and we worked and we survived just fine, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. You actually had to go to a bar and buy someone a drink <laughs> if you wanted to, to socialize. You know, have a little right. Panky panky. Hmm. You didn't go, you know. You didn't swipe left or right to go. Ooh, okay. Yeah. I mean, there yeah. was no Tinder. Yeah, that's true. So uh, Jeff Holt says, "Your thoughts on corporate oligarchs?" I think it logged me out, or it might have. I'm sorry. Anyway, we should end. Yeah, we should. And it's uh, gone. So thank you, everyone. Uh, it was wonderful, and um, thank you, Russell Blake, for coming on. And it's been a great yeah. discussion. We just went way over. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for having me on. And I'm sorry, I'm not, you know, at 100. percent Oh no, I'm I'm 